0: I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're picking up our study. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extra. So we're happy to have those of you that have just started attending with us. More and more folks are finding a desire to read the Bible and learn the Bible. We have lots of Bible studies, lots of opportunities to learn God's Word on your own. We're in the midst of talking about rebuilding a healthy church, and we said that the church was experiencing division. And the division was over leaders, but ultimately the division had a couple sources. One was they didn't understand the value of the gospel. And we talked about that last week. To an unbeliever, Christianity, the death of Jesus on the cross, what, what's, all the, what's all the fuss? Big deal, doesn't make a lot of sense. But to a believer, we have what we call gospel glasses, So Paul gives a category of people in verse 14. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. He says, a natural man. A natural man is just an ordinary person, a person who does not have the Holy Spirit inside of them. If you are not a born-again Christian, you are a natural man. Left to yourself, when you die, natural men and women end up going to hell. Jesus said, you must be born again or you will not enter the kingdom of God. When you become born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. When that happens, you become a spiritual man. So Paul says in this end of chapter 2, we received the Spirit from God so that we might know the things that God has given us. So last week we talked about having gospel glasses. But we left off with this point, that when you receive the Holy Spirit and He opens your eyes, and you understand the value of the death of Jesus and you're forgiven, we learn that gospel glasses over time should lead to thinking with God's mind. You have the mind of Christ, and therefore you and I should be different in our beliefs and our behavior. There should be distinguishable differences between how we think, how we live, and how unbelievers think and live. Herein, we ran into the problem that the Corinthians were having. Though they had received the Holy Spirit, they were so disinterested and confused and not living the way they should that Paul's calling them out for living like they're not Christians. So what, what the problem was is they undervalued the gospel and consequently overvalued their leaders. And their division was, I belong to this guy, I belong to this guy. So Paul says, why would you say I am of Paul? Like, you are of me? Paul's going, am I your master? Do I somehow possess you and own you? He said, in essence, gospel leaders are not the founders of the church. He goes, I'm not the framer of the church. I'm not the owner of the church. I'm not the originator of the gospel. What he's going to tell us today is that gospel people belong to the God of the gospel, not to the leaders of the church. So what we're going to learn is as I look at my own life, if I call myself a Christian and there's no distinguishable difference between how I think and how I live and how an unbeliever does, then I'm in trouble and I need to think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we do have the Holy Spirit to give us this understanding. And so let us learn from this and be challenged to grow into what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how it can encourage and instruct and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're going to learn is that Paul's going to say, look, If you have the Holy Spirit, you should grow in Christ-like beliefs and behavior. And what he's going to do, he's going to call them out and say, when your beliefs and behavior don't show that, he has another term for it. So let's look in verse 1. He says, I, brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men. In other words, I wanted to speak into your lives as those who possessed the Holy Spirit and were growing in maturity. But he said, I couldn't. I had to speak to you as men of flesh. And I'm going to come back to that. He said, you were babes in Christ. So when I was with you, your understanding, your values, your beliefs and behavior were so shallow that that all I could do was treat you as infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. So he's going, as a brand new Christian, we can't expect a brand new Christian to be significantly different from an unbeliever. They don't, the day you become a Christian, you don't completely change your beliefs and behavior. It takes time. So he says, you weren't able, but now it's five years later. And he's going, but you're still not able. And that's a problem. Why weren't they able? Look at verse 3. He says, for you are still fleshly. Or if you have a King James Bible, the King James uses the word carnal. Now, when the Bible talks about our flesh, sometimes it's just talking about our skin, right? So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says there are different kinds of flesh when God resurrects us. But often when you read the word flesh in the Bible, the flesh is not good. The flesh is a corrupt disposition. We inherit that from Adam. When you're born, we're not only born condemned because of original sin, we're born corrupt. And the Bible calls that the flesh. And the flesh is this disposition inside of us that wants what it wants. It's going to Burger King it, do it our way. Even a little kid, you say, don't do that. And just because you said don't do that, they want to do that. We have that within us, this desire and, and those who don't know the Lord are dominated by the flesh. They have no ability to deny the flesh. But when you become a Christian, the flesh is crucified. It is, it is rendered powerless, but it doesn't disappear. We still have within us what spiritual leaders or pastors would call remaining sin. You, you, you feel me? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's, I still have things inside of me, desires to do what I want. And there's no question, I know that they're wrong. The Bible calls those the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Because the Holy Spirit has come into us, Paul says, you're no longer in the flesh, you're in the spirit. So he says, you're no longer a debtor to give yourself to the flesh. So he wants us to learn how to walk in the spirit. He says, because as you walk in the power of the spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. When you carry out the desires of the flesh, you're bringing forth what the Bible calls the deeds of the flesh the ultimate result of acting on the desires is deeds. Like he says the deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, and sensuality, sexual sins, relational sins, anger, strife, bitterness, idolatry, drunkenness, selfishness, all these things that characterize not being controlled by the Lord. So when he calls these believers fleshly or carnal, he is not suggesting that this is a category For which you could spend your life as a Christian. See, there's a lot of debate. Some, like John MacArthur, a lot of Bible teachers who say, You're misunderstanding this. There's no such thing as a fleshly Christian. You can't be a a carnal Christian. I'm going, yeah, you can. The point is, if you're truly a Christian, you're not going to stay that way. If a person stays in that condition, then the problem is they're not a Christian. So... But the reality is this, there are people who are Christians, but they think and act just like non-Christians, and if that describes you, then you have a problem, and that problem needs to be dealt with. So, Paul says here, when believers' beliefs and behavior are not Christ-like, we're called fleshly. So, they might say to Paul, well, wait a minute, how dare you say that about me? How can you tell... That I'm fleshly. How can you tell that I'm walking dominated by my flesh? And he says, Well, here's how I know. Verse three For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Now, in the beginning of the book, he said, I hear there's fighting going on among you. Now he adds another word jealousy. Starts to poke around there, why do people fight? Sometimes it's because of jealousy, and because of pride, and it leads to strife. Often it's just rooted in selfishness. James chapter 4 says this, what is the source of fighting and conflicts? It's when you want something and you can't get it, and then you, you fight. You're like, pastor, this is getting too personal, right? This sounds like me, or my family, or my marriage, or my relationships. Now, some of you might be going like this, I dodged a bullet, (laughs) because I don't have a problem with fighting and being jealous. This is not the only manifestation of the flesh, okay? Read Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident. As I said, some of these manifestations are sexual sins, but some of them, what he picks up on here, are relational sins. He goes, if you can't get along with one another, you're walking in the flesh, and that's not appropriate for Christians in fact he says think about it verse 4 when one says I am of Paul in other words if you are are identifying yourself as belonging to your leader you have demonstrated as he says in verse 4 are you not mere men are you not walking like men now this is what's scary in American Christianity There have been very detailed surveys taken by Barna Research, things like this, and and, and anonymous. And it's staggering how many people in America call themselves, not just Christians, but born-again Christians, but don't believe in the resurrection. Don't think Jesus is the only way. Their morals are no different from unbelievers. Long as they don't get caught, it's okay to lie. It's okay to have affairs. It's okay to live together before you're Christians. Fight a lot. Argue a lot. Totally preoccupy with money. As long as you're saying, divorce rate no different from unbelievers. Not that there aren't biblical grounds for divorce. But the problem, as A.W. Tozer said, with Christians in America, or the reason there aren't more Christians in America, is because of Christians in America. So, so, so the problem with, with the Corinthian church is there was too much of current in them. And Paul's gone, this is not good. This is, this is not what God's desire is. And so you and I need to just think about our own lives and say, hey, if my beliefs and my behavior aren't changing and becoming like Christ, then either I'm not a believer or I'm what the Bible calls fleshly, dominated by the flesh. And we're going to come back to how to cure that. Okay? So, now Paul's going to spend the rest of this whole chapter curing the problem. So he identifies the problem in chapter 1. You guys are, are fighting over one another. The root of that is you're in the flesh. But rather than deal with it right away, he goes, let's start with the gospel. You, you misunderstood the value of the gospel. Now that he's fixed that, now he's going to go back to the problem about leaders. And what he's going to tell us is when you misunderstand the value of the gospel, you're probably going to misunderstand the value of leaders and the purpose of leaders. When you miss the meaning of the cross, you and I will act more and more like the world. So what we're going to learn in verses 5 through 9 then is as, as Christians mature in our spiritual condition, we're going to learn to think rightly about our leaders and rightly about our Lord. The fact is, let's use mathematics. When churches multiply, they need to multiply leaders. When leaders multiply in a church, we must not divide over leaders. Does that make sense? It's not not rocket science. When leaders multiply, we must not divide. So there's a couple things I want to say about leaders. Number one, in verse 5, Paul's going to tell us this. Gospel leaders are merely servants of God. That's all they are. They're just servants. So whichever pastor or elder stands before you, just think of them as servants of God. Don't think of them as masters. Don't think of them as someone to whom you belong. I am of John. I am of Austin. I am of Tom. I am of Paul. I am of Paul. But think of all of your leaders, both the ones in your local church as the ones that you watch on television, those that you admire, you read their books, just think of them as servants of God, and hence, if they are servants of God, they belong to God, and you belong to God, so let's keep the focus on God, so let's look at how he unfolds this, it's kind of cool, he uses an analogy from agriculture, next week, he'll use an analogy from architecture, look at verse 5, okay, how should I think of my leaders, what then is Apollos, And what then is Paul? He goes, I'll tell you what they are. They're servants. They're servants. Well, what was their role in our lives? They're servants through whom you believed. But then he said, even as the Lord gave opportunity. Okay? So, does it really matter which leader or which person ultimately was the person you had the final conversation with that closed the deal so for example you witness to your friend for years you bring them to church and maybe i'm up here preaching and i give an invitation who am i but simply a servant of christ through whom someone believed they may believe through your witness they may believe through my witness they may believe through billy graham's witness They may believe through the Holy Spirit as they're reading the Bible, but Paul says, think of your leaders merely as servants. So, what will that look like? Well, think about it. Suppose someone sent you a gift regularly. Someone who really loved you sent you awesome gifts. Would you really care which FedEx guy delivered it? Does it matter who the Amazon delivery person is. Now, if it does, we have other problems. If, we're not going to talk about that. But you, you get it? Like, why would I be pre It's like the, the little kid who, he opens his, the package and then he just plays with the paper. You're like, what are you doing? So this idea of servant leadership is confident, in the, or, or it's, it's relevant and practical in the Bible. You don't believe in a leader. You simply come to Christ through people. And sometimes it's through leaders. So therefore, how should I view my leaders? Number one, they're servants. Number two, and this is going to sound kind of deflating, but leaders are disposable. God is indispensable. You're like, disposable? Should we just cast them to the side? Well, we'll f- follow what I'm saying. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. So that's what I mean by leaders are disposable. Now, please don't kick me to the curb. You you follow what I'm saying. But ultimately... Paul, Apollos, they're not anything. But God, he's the one who's important. Not gospel leaders, but the God of the gospel. So something that struck me here is I always took this verse to be uh, an illustration of personal evangelism. You know, personal evangelism would be um, you met somebody and you, you, you planted the seed, and then I met them later, and then I witnessed to them, I put a little water in it, and then someone else came along and put a little more water. And then God brought them to Christ. And there is an analogy for that in New Testament. But, but I've changed my view on this as I study this. What I think Paul means here when he says, I planted, is that I planted the church corporately. And the reason why I think he means that is because in the next analogy, he's going to use the same analogy. He's going to say, I laid the foundation of this church. Other people have come along. So he's simply saying, hey, Corinthians, look back at your church. And you guys can do this. Remember we talked about this. Read the book of Acts. He comes into Corinth. He's there for three years, preaches the gospel. He says, look, I planted this church. When I left, Apollos came in. He began to teach and water. More people came to Christ. The church continued to grow. But ultimately, God was the one who causes the growth. In the history of this church, there were a small group of people that began to meet in a home The first full-time pastor they called, many of you may remember him, Jay Button, for 25 years. So one could say there was a core of people under Jay Button who planted. Others have come along since then. Those of us who are on pastoral staff now, we're we're watering, we're continuing to to pray and, and, and help the church to grow. But ultimately, God causes the growth. And we should celebrate that, amen? We don't have more people here because we're giving away free televisions. We're not baptizing seeing converts because we have a slicker program here. We're user friendly and our pastors are contemporary with Yahweh tattoos and we hold little puppies and it's God's power. God's the one that's building his church. So in light of that, because we're like cords, we're not the power source, Paul goes adjust the way you think about your leaders. So Gospel leaders are disposable. God is indispensable. Third, and this this is just as important, is to recognize that gospel leaders have diverse tasks, but the same goal. Now think about that, and we're not just talking about your pastors, but your elders, Sunday school teachers, anybody who's a leader in this church. We have diverse tasks. We don't all do the same thing. We're different. We have different gifts. We have different personalities. We have different tasks but the same goal. So look with me in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That's interesting. Think about that. We're one. What does he mean by that? We're one body in Christ, and we have one goal. So so what is our, our mission? To advance the gospel and to make disciples who make disciples. So whether it's our children's workers, elders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, anybody who's doing ministry here, we all have one common goal, and that is to bring people to Christ and help them to grow. Now ask yourself, what's your part in that? What are you doing to help bring people to Christ or to help those who have come to Christ to grow. If, if, if you go, really nothing, then that's what you're doing, but that's not what you should be doing. And we want to bring you along and help you. This is not to shame you, it's to, it's to equip you, it's to encourage you. Those of you who are doing ministry, there can be a tendency to undervalue your ministry or to overvalue your ministry. Well, I'm not up there preaching like so-and-so, so mine doesn't matter. But if somebody doesn't set up these chairs, we're gonna still have a problem. So everybody's ministry matters. So we have different tasks, we have different gifts. We're not all the same, but we have the same goal. And let's remember that. But you say, well, at the end, if we all have a different job, how does the boss view us individually? Great question. And, And this is really encouraging. He says, Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So listen to this. God will reward you for faithful work, not fabulous success. God will reward you and me individually for faithful work. It doesn't say here, you will be rewarded according to how many people get saved. You will be rewarded if you teach kindergarten and, and the five-year-old comes up and say, you changed my life. You reconciled me and my parents. I was on the path of destruction. No, you're rewarded according to your labor. I asked my students this week at Cairn, what is it about group projects that you don't like? And one guy just shouted out, because there's always slugs in the group who don't do anything. But then we all get the same grade. Mark this down. That's not how God evaluates his servants, right? Too many times we use we, we, we all the way home. The Bible says in Galatians 6, each one of us must carry our own load. And this is cool to think about because you may feel that what you do goes unnoticed. And that may be unfortunately and sadly the case in certain things. Like I would highly doubt how many of you know who counts money downstairs who does financial things. There's lots of things that take place behind the scenes of man, but not behind the eyes of God. He sees it, and I want to encourage you. Look what he says. You will be rewarded according to your labor. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what are those rewards? Am I going to have a pile of crowns on my head? What what am I going to do? Am I going to get a bigger mansion up in heaven? So we want to think that through, but just mark that down. God will reward you for what you do whatever form your ministry takes. So, finally, Paul's going to bring it all together. He's going to say, so, so, so Riverstone Church, gospel leaders, and the people, the whole church, belong to God. So, so there's always problems. Sometimes the leaders go, this is our church. And then the congregation goes, no, This is our church. And then God goes, no, this is my church. Amen? So look how he closes this in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. Now, the King James Bible says we work together with God. It's really not a good translation because the the emphasis here is, is on possession. We are fellow workers who belong to God. So in any way of being a leader, you belong to God. I belong to God. He doesn't doesn't go, well, Pastor Tom, he belongs to me more than you belong to me. We all belong to God. He owns us, right? None of us have priority in God's sight. We don't belong to God more than others. So in light of that, since we all belong to God, we have to recognize that we will have differences and whatever form our ministries take it's ultimately about Jesus so let's 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 think for a few moments what do I do with this we're all in this thing together he says we're God's field so let's just take a look at this field any weeds any bear patches any places in our fellowship that need some fertilizing maybe some trimming some weeding some edging some rock removal, yeah. But stop looking this way, <laughs> and we all can look this way, right? So it's individual, and corporate. We, I, I think we're pretty clear in this. We haven't arrived, right? But at the same time, we're not some barren, tangled weed field. I hope. Maybe we are. Maybe Jesus says you're poor and rich, miserable, blind and naked. But I don't think so. I think the Lord is pleased with the number of things that He sees in this church, but He wants His church to grow. And he's the one that causes the growth. He's the one that gets all the glory. It's for his purpose. So each of us has to think, all right, so what's my part here? So let's talk about a couple of things. When you value your leaders too much, that shows that we're valuing our Lord too little. Paul's simply saying, I love what Gordon Fee says here. He's saying, stop it, stop it, Corinthians. People of the spirit must stop believing and behaving like people of this age. Stop worrying about belonging to leaders and start living like you belong to the Lord. Stop living like the world lives in you. Start living like the Lord lives in you. You're in a position, Paul says, you're not able to understand it because you're not living and believing the way the Lord wants you to. And he says to them, and it's your fault. But he wants them to change. But you know, something that struck me about this is why would somebody want to say, I belong to him? I belong to him. At the end of the day, I was reading one commentary, and he really struck me with something that he said. He goes, when we do that, it's not ultimately because we want to make them look good. It's like, oh, I belong to to John MacArthur because I want to make him look good. When we start saying we belong to someone, ultimately it's because I want to make me look good. And you know what that's called? Pride. It is prideful whenever we do anything that our ultimate concern is making ourselves look good. Now, I know that you don't struggle with this, but I do. So you can pray for me. Or if you know someone, you know, you may meet someone who still worries about looking good and their reputation. If you meet somebody like that, like John Bunyan did in Pilgrim's Progress. He said, yeah, his name was Mr. Desirous of Vainglory. If you encounter that guy, be honest with it and say, Lord, I must decrease. You must increase. Let's be more concerned about making Jesus look good. And and, and what happens is this flows into relationships. When I'm more concerned about what I want and how I look, that's where relational conflicts come in. What is the source of your strife, James says? It's because you're not getting what you want. So when we have, if you and your spouse are getting along splendidly miserably, ask yourself not what's wrong with them, but perhaps in what way am I selfish? In what way am I walking in the flesh? And what way is my behavior evidencing that I'm not being like Jesus? Novel thought. We're not responsible for how people around us act. We're responsible for how we react. And with God's help, we can say, Lord, help me to make gospel progress. Two more thoughts. Looking in this passage where Paul says leaders are servants, let's remember then that that the whole paradigm of Christian leadership is being a servant, right? Right? It's not going to Cairn and getting a degree and being able to use big theological words. Christian leadership, and it's not just pastors, anybody who's in leadership in any ministry from from the the cradle to the grave, it should be characterized by servant-heartedness, a willingness to say, hey, it doesn't matter. I just want to serve people. I was reading Chuck Smith's book, the the founder of Calvary Calvary Chapel, and he was telling the story of how a guy, came into his church and told him how he wants to be a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he began to talk about all his unique gifts and his understanding of scripture. And, and Chuck Smith said to him, yeah, but here's the thing. Can you clean up vomit in the bathroom? <laughs> clean up vomit in the bathroom? <laughs> Excuse me, I exegete the Greek text. I cannot wait on vomit and leave the word of God, right? So let's just remind ourselves... We're servants, right? And if that little child needs ministry, I'm serving him because I'm serving him. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do, right? He said, you want to be great? You want to be a leader? Don't be like the world. Don't climb over people's back. Be a servant. Make yourself a servant to all. And I need to remind myself. Now, a brief word to those who are in leadership, particularly those who are some way in charge. We must be ever mindful of who is ultimately in charge, right? Who is in charge of this church? Jesus. To be a servant doesn't mean that we abdicate our leadership. It doesn't mean we're everyone's errand boy or girl. And at the end of the day, what I need to remind myself is that's the basic stance of all Christian leadership is to be a servant. So pray that God will multiply servant leaders in our church. And those of you who are leaders, the Bible says it is enough for a leader to become or a disciple to become like his leader. If we model servant leadership, we will multiply servant leadership. And finally, the last thought is this. Paul says to these Corinthians, hey, listen, here's the thing. I led you to Christ, you were doing well, but you're fleshly, you're acting like unbelievers, you're thinking like unbelievers. No one would even know you're a Christian. I remember once a guy preached in a church I brought him in as a guest speaker, and he goes, that guy's in your church? This was a former church. I said, what do you mean he's in her? He goes, I work with that guy. I said, so what? I said, he's a leader in our church. He goes, I work with him. I would have never even known he was a Christian. Well, wow, that was rather interesting. So the point I want to make here is this. Remaining carnal is not an option. If you're like, yeah, well, I know I'm saved, and yet I see what you're saying, I really should change. If that doesn't bother you, then you may have a bigger problem than being carnal. Your problem may be you're deceived. The Bible says those who are born of God will not continually and habitually live a life of sin. So later we're going to see in this bit, Paul says, if you continue to be a fornicator, liar, immoral, thief, whatever, drunkard, he goes, you're not going to hurt the kingdom of God. You didn't lose your salvation. You don't have it. So you could be a Christian and have no difference in your life. But if you stay that way, that should cause you and me to tremble. So the issue is not whether or not it's permissible to be a Christian, the issue is whether it's possible, and it is possible, but that doesn't mean, and I think that's MacArthur's point, oh, yeah, you can't be a carnal Christian, I'm going, he just called them carnal Christians, you just don't want to stay that way. Now, I think if we're all honest, we would all say, well, I mean, Tom, there's some areas that I'm not acting like Christ. Yeah, (laughs) get in line, but that's what's exciting about the Word, is whatever that area is, let's lean into that in the power of the Holy Spirit and not use that as our comfortable excuse. Well, that's just my background, or if you know what happened to me. Let's lean into those areas where we know we're not behaving and we're not believing like Christ, and because we're people of the Spirit, let's pray that God will change us. So, when we pray together with people It shouldn't just be about Betty's diverticulitis, Nancy's gingivitis, Barry's arthritis, but could you pray for me because I'm not patient? Could you pray for so-and-so? I'm lustful. Could you pray for me because I'm lazy? Could you pray for me because I'm angry? Could you pray for me because I'm, right? We're growing together so that our beliefs and behavior ultimately are more and more like Christ. And people look at us and they say, that's what I want. That's what the world needs. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this passage. It's exciting and it's encouraging to realize that our transformation is not by our self-will, it's by the Holy Spirit. Lord, all of us at times have been guilty of being fleshly, of being dominated by worldly beliefs and behavior, but I pray that you'll shake us from that in repentance and faith. Thank you that you bought the church with your blood and it's your desire to turn us into servant leaders who don't care about getting the credit, but boasting in God and giving you glory. Raise up more and more leaders in our church, and thank you so much for the many, many people that are so willing to serve. Help us to be honest as we evaluate our condition and see the areas that you want us to grow. Thank you that you are building the church, and I pray for all of the leaders, including myself, that you'll lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, Thank you for the help and support and generosity and service from every believer here. And for those who need to change their ways, I pray that you'll give them the strength, give us the strength to grow and become more spiritual and more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.